in your Bibles in Revelation chapter 14, or chapter 15 really, we've discussed chapter 14 several nights, and we're moving on to chapter 15, but as we do that, let me just bring a brief review of Revelation. Revelation is the book of the revealing or the unveiling of Jesus Christ. It is not a hidden book, it is an open book. And though we may not understand every jot and tittle in this book, it was written to be read and to be heeded and to be studied and understood as far as we can. There are two words that we get confused sometimes. One is the Apocrypha, which refers to those hidden books in some Bibles between Malachi and Matthew. Those are spurious books. They've never been accepted as part of the inspired canon, though they're interesting to read. But Apocrypha means hidden. The apocalypse means to unveil, to open up. And the book of Revelation is called the apocalypse, the apocalypto. And it is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And God gave that to Jesus to give to his son, to his servant, John. And John was appointed to write it and then send it to the churches. In chapter 1, we have the vision of the glorified Christ. The last vision the world had of Jesus was on a cross. As far as we can tell from reading the New Testament, no unsaved person saw Jesus in the resurrected body. The last view they had was the dead Christ on a cross. And Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus tenderly taking his body and placing it in that borrowed tomb. But Jesus is not dead anymore. That's the reason we don't have crucifixes, a cross with Christ on it. There's nothing wrong with the, with the symbol of the cross. We have a number of them. The big cross there, cross behind the choir, the cross here. Those, the cross stands it's the emblem of our faith, the old rugged cross. But someday I'll exchange it for a crown. And then secondly, in the book of Revelation, according to chapter 1, verse 19, Jesus said, you write the things that, you, that are. This refers to the seven churches, chapters 2 and 3. The church at Ephesus, the church at Smyrna, the church at Pergamos and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. And those various churches stand for the characteristics of the church of Jesus through all the ages. The last, the Laodicean church, which is the lukewarm church, neither hot nor cold. And Jesus said, because it's neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. Many believe we're in that age right now. The interesting thing is that in every age, there are churches that are just like each of those seven churches. So that today there are Philadelphia churches. There are churches like Ephesus. There are churches like Smyrna. 
that are under suffering. Our hearts go out to those missionaries. They went as a, in, in a, with another missionaries in Afghanistan, but they went to tell people about Jesus. And they won some people. Those people they won are under the death sentence. They have a few days to recant their faith. The missionaries themselves are those Christians, many of them from America, Australia, and other places. They're under a death threat. Many believe they will just deport them and send them home because it will cause such a world-wide opening if they kill them. But there are people all around the world that are suffering for the Christian faith. In our age, there are churches like Smyrna suffering for the Lord. There are churches like Pergamos, Thyatira, ungodly living. There are churches like Sardis that have a name that they're alive and they're dead. Churches like Philadelphia with a wide open uh, door. And then the Laodicean type church. And then in chapter 4, the voice said, come up hither and I'll show you all the things that are yet to come. Beginning in chapter 4 of Revelation and continuing through chapter 22, all that's future hasn't occurred yet. And as we read it, we see in chapters 4 and 5 the songs they sing in heaven, beautiful throne of God, all the wonderful things about heaven. Then in chapter 6, a quick panoramic view, the white horse man that many understand to be the Antichrist. He soon, turn, soon turns into a horse on, on a red horse and a black horse and a pale horse indicating famine and bloodshed and, and catastrophe. And then John sees the souls under the altar that, are, that have been killed for the word, and they're crying out, O oh Lord, how long? We sang a while ago about the coming of Christ. One of the, in the refrain, there's a section that says, O oh Lord Jesus, how long? How long are we shout the glad voice? That's taken right from this section of Revelation. How long before the Lord determines to take things under control? Then in chapter 7, the 144,000 Jewish evangelists that are sealed before anything else occurs. And then the unveiling of the, the sealed judgments in chapter 6. The trumpet judgments beginning in chapter 8, and then in 9, and 10, and 11, and we see the, the vile judgments being opened. In chapter 11, verse 15, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. In chapter 12 and 13, the seven personages of the end, and we're sealing, we're seeing these today. One of those personages is Israel itself. Another is the Christ. Another is the, the, the archangel, and so on. And then, when we go through that section, we come to chapter 14. Chapter 13, 
the beast, the two beasts, one the Antichrist, the other the false prophet. Then in chapter 14, <clears throat> we see Armageddon being prepared for. And chapter 14 ends with a terrible battle in the valley of Jezreel and the blood up to the horse's bits. All that is yet to come. Then in chapter 15, we have the last song in the Bible. I want you to notice this. The first song in the Bible is Exodus 15. The last song is Revelation 15. Let's look at it. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for them in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand in the sea of glass having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. As far as we can tell, that's the last song. Who shall, verse 4, Who shall fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. And after that, I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues clothed in pure and white linen, having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able enter, to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels was fulfilled. In those eight verses, we see God about to bring the judgment on the earth who has rejected the Savior, rejected godliness, rejected the word of God, rejected God's moral code, and judgment is going to come. Those people under the altar were saying, Lord, how long? Oh, how long? And in just the chapters before, we heard an angel stand on the land and the sea and swear with his hand raised to heaven that time was no longer to be. The expression time no longer to be actually meant there's no more delay. God's going to bring the judgment. It's coming. Now by parenthesis, and I do not mean to be very long tonight, we're seeing something of judgment going on right now. And ladies and gentlemen, please understand the context with which I say this. In the days of Jeremiah, when Israel had sinned against God and Judah had sinned against God, in the days of Amos and Isaiah, they had warned, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. And in 722, the Assyrians came and overwhelmed Israel, took them into captivity. 
Why'd they do that? <clears throat> Was it just because of the bad thugs over in Assyria? If you read the Bible, you have to come to the conclusion that the reason God allowed that is because of the sins of Israel. And for our commentaries to misunderstand what Bible-believing preachers may say concerning this, we may be seeing somewhat the same thing today. Is it possible that God is lifting His protective hand from America? During the Civil War, we saw thousands of our own people killed by each other. Brother rising up against brother, sister against sister. The North against the South, the South against the North. <clears throat> In one sense, that was a justified war. But now listen, why did God allow that? We call it the war between the states, and it was that. It later became known as the Civil War. Why did God allow that in this great nation? To cut out a cancer. There was a terrible cancer in America of slavery. God never intended that. It was never right, never right. In a thousand worlds, it's never right for somebody to try to own somebody else. That's wrong. I don't know whether you're prejudiced or not prejudiced. Has nothing to do with prejudice has to do with what God says. You cannot own another human being. You just can't do it. And when we kept on doing it and kept on doing it, and thank God some preachers raised their hand against it. But God finally allowed His hand of protection to be lifted so that human beings could settle that awful slavery problem in America. You may not see it like that. I don't think it's because there were thugs in the South and thugs in the North and they couldn't get along with each other. It wasn't over that. It was over states' rights, but an issue was the right to have slavery. And there was a righteous crew in America that said that's wrong. And beloved, it is wrong. I'm a Southerner. I, my ancestors, folks, lived on a farm in Newcastle, Kentucky, and they were Southerners. And some of our ancestors fought on the south side and some on the north side. And the north came in and took over our barns and our house, and they put their horses there. And looking back on it, do you think I'm mad at the North for doing that? I'm sorry it happened. It was a tragedy. But God had to allow it to cut out the cancer in this nation. Now, since the Civil War, except for Pearl Harbor, and Pearl Harbor was a territory at the time, this nation has never been touched by a foreign power. We've had some fifth columnists. We've had some seditions. We've had some people give away secrets. 
We've had some spies, but until last Tuesday, we never had an invasion. They invaded us last Tuesday. Nobody will ever forget September the 11th. My heart cries when I think about it. This is my nation. I love it, and you know that. Every occasion we can, we salute the flag. We sing these great songs about America. I'm for America. I'm an American. I believe it's worth dying for. But we have a cancer in our nation. We have permitted wickedness and sin to be ruled right. And beloved, it's wrong. It is never right to murder a little baby in the mother's womb. Our government says it's okay. It is never right to pass laws that defy God's natural laws for men and women. That's never right. We've allowed it. I've been amazed in the last week, as you have, at people praying all over the world, all over America. Every time we could possibly pray, we prayed. Somebody called our church last, day, last week one day and said, why aren't you on television announcing that you're going to have a prayer meeting? We had a prayer meeting on Tuesday, had another prayer meeting on Wednesday, had another prayer meeting on Thursday, we had another prayer meeting on Friday. When we called the television station, they said, why, people are supposed to call their own church and ask if they're going to have a prayer meeting. We're not announcing all those on the television. But we had prayer meetings. Last Friday, our whole nation was moved when the leaders gathered in the Washington Cathedral and had a prayer meeting. I don't know whether we've repented or not, but we've prayed. Last Sunday morning, nearly our whole church were down on our knees in prayer. I pray that there was some repentance going on. God wants His people called by His name to pray, seek His face, turn from their wicked ways. That's repentance. Is it possible, and I'm not telling you, I'm asking a question. Is it possible that just like in the days of Israel and Judah, when God allowed Babylon to come and Jeremiah kept preaching, there's going to be a captivity, there's going to be an invasion, and they arrested him and put him in prison. They said he's a rabble rouser, he's a seditionist, he's an outlaw, something wrong with him, he's a fundamentalist. Was Jeremiah right or wrong? And Babylon came. Now that wasn't because there was a bunch of thugs over in Babylon. I guess they were that. Came, we found out later how wicked they were and how Nebuchadnezzar tried to put Daniel in a lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fiery furnace and so on. And he failed at all those things because God intervened. But God didn't intervene to keep Babylon from conquering Judah. 
because their sin stunk to high heaven. Now you decide what you think about it. I'm not telling you. I'm just saying in this chapter, chapter 15, God is about to bring judgment. And who's he going to bring judgment on? It's on the civilized world that's acting in an uncivilized way. Now, remember this, that God later struck down Babylon. You can't get by with, no matter, two wrongs don't make a right, two rights don't make a wrong. You, you can't get by with hurting God's people. At the same time, God seemed to pull back the veil and say, all right, Babylon, you're going to be my arm of judgment. And it was so. I don't know whether God the other day just pulled back the veil and said, you thugs, wherever you are in 60 different countries that have hatched up this terrible thing for several years, I'm going to unleash you, let you go. And 5,000 of our people died. And we've been jarred into an apparent war, a different kind of war. My time is up. I want to tell you, we need to repent. God's people called by God's name need to pray, seek his face, turn from our wicked ways. Then he said, I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, I'll heal their land. Judgment is going to be unleashed on this earth one day. I don't know when it is. I don't know whether, whether this is a prelude to it. Somebody said, is this part of the tribulation? I don't know. I don't know. It certainly is a tribulation. Nobody could have gone through last week without realizing America's in a tribulation. As a, whether it's the great tribulation, I don't know. But I know this. The answer, we don't know the answer. We know the answer, but we don't know the answer. That is, we can't fight this war like we fought World War II or like we fought the Gulf War or like we fought in Korea and, and, and in, in Vietnam. We don't know who the enemy is. They might be in Bowling Green. Just this last week, they arrested a doctor in San Antonio and said he's hooked with it. There's a network in 60 different nations what are we going to do about it? I don't think we need to be afraid. We need to look up and say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? We need to be sure that we've repented of our individual sins and then keep on keeping on. Win as many people to Christ as we possibly can and ask God to help America. I'm nationalistic. I'm for America. But brothers, and sisters, we've got sin in the camp. And we need to ask God to help us get rid of it. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for the word of God that is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. We thank you that God can bless America if we'll let him. Right now, it looks like you want to judge us. We pray that the hand of God will help leaders, our president and our military leaders and the advisors around the president to know what to do. 
We pray, Father, though we're not worthy to pray, we ask you to rebuke these who have brought such tyranny to our nation and our land. Comfort the families that are in sorrow tonight. And in this room right now, we pray that will cause all of us to have a spirit of repentance. And like at the Last Supper, we would say, Lord, is it I? Is it I? And may we not be quick to blame others, but to look in our own hearts and say, Lord, I want to be sure I'm right with God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. What are we going to sing? 153. 153. I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. And as we sing, you do what God tells you to do. Some of you may want to come to the altar and just pray. Maybe some special requests. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, you've never given your heart to Christ, I plead with you, don't leave without Jesus. Come to Christ. God help you.